Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, November 22nd. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast on this Thanksgiving Eve. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news, read between the lines so you don't have to. And on today's podcast, tell you what we're thankful for. And Mosh, despite uh, the doom and gloom that we tend to have to report on in this podcast, you and I have a lot to be thankful for. And I think um, as people listen to this, they'll realize if they haven't already that they have a lot to be thankful for as well. Yes, I think it's important to see the forest for the trees. And while we all tend to focus on the negative things that happen in the headlines, it turns out that a lot of positive things happen too. And we try to make a point of telling you about them. It's hard because we want to get to the important things, the significant things. But at the same time, despite issues people have with this holiday and its origins, there is a positive element, which is take a moment and realize what you're grateful for and some of the positive things that are happening. So we'll be doing that as uh, many of us will be doing that uh, here in the U.S. uh, on Thursday. And a programming note, uh, we will not have live daily editions unless something crazy happens, which Jill and I (laughs) just don't even don't even throw that into the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. We will not be having daily editions (laughs) next two days because everything will be totally calm. Uh, We do have a couple special editions coming out. We have a special edition out with uh, interviews with a survivor of the October 7th attacks, as well as several family members of hostages. We'll have an update on that situation. Also did a, a really fascinating interview with a Palestinian from Gaza, who's currently in the U.S. as an activist, working with an Israeli, actually, on a way to achieve peace at the grassroots level. I think you guys will find that conversation fascinating. We'll also have that out for you in the next day. All right. And with that, let's get to some headlines in the Middle East. It appears that we do have a hostage deal at last. What is in it and when any type of hostage exchange would potentially begin? Plus, as Moshe mentioned, he spoke to a Palestinian who grew up in Gaza to get his perspective on the war. We'll run a short clip from that interview. Back here in the U.S., a mass shooting at Walmart, a shooter wounding four people in a Walmart in Ohio before taking his own life. In business news, Ford scaling back plans for a battery plant in Michigan as demand for electric vehicles has been disappointing and the cost of labor increases. It's a big travel weekend, so can you say pack your patience? You can say that, Joe. (laughs) The Thanksgiving travel storms could cause some headaches this holiday weekend. And with more Americans on Ozempic, what that means for Thanksgiving dinners. Are we talking perhaps smaller plates? More leftovers. And to the art world, who is Banksy? A lost BBC interview reveals the artist's first name. Plus, as we mentioned, it has been a rough few weeks, but this Thanksgiving, Moshe and I talk about what we are thankful for. All right, we start today with word of what appears to be a finalized deal between Israel and Hamas to release some of the hostages taken to Gaza during the attacks on October 7th. Now, as part of phase one of the deal, Hamas would release 50 women and children over the course of four to five days, so about 10 to 12 hostages a day. In exchange, Israel would agree to a four to five day pause in fighting And that includes hours-long pauses in drone surveillance over the Gaza Strip. Also, as part of the deal, Israel would allow about 300 trucks filled with aid to enter Gaza from Egypt. More fuel would also be allowed during this pause in fighting. 
Israel would also be releasing three Palestinian prisoners that are currently in Israeli jails for every civilian hostage that is released. So about 150 to start for those first 50 hostages. Channel 12 in Israel reports that 30 children, eight mothers and 12 women held by Hamas will be released and that Hamas claims that it cannot immediately locate about 10 additional children that were taken from Israel during those October 7th attacks. Barack Ravid from Axios, who we have been quoting a lot here on this podcast, he is very well sourced, says that the way that this would work is that starting Wednesday night, Hamas would give a list to Israel of the 12 or so hostages that would be released the next day. The Israeli government would then likely tell just the families of those hostages, and they'll be taken to a special hospital upon their release. As for the Palestinian prisoners who will be released by Israel, no one convicted of murdering Israelis will be let out of prison. It will most likely be prisoners who are women and minors. Many have been arrested in recent weeks for things like the incitement of violence and other smaller alleged crimes. By law, though, the Israeli government does need to publicize the names so that the public can appeal to the Supreme Court. They've got 24 hours to do that. Israel says also as part of the deal, the Red Cross will be allowed to visit the hostages who haven't been released yet. Now, that has not happened since the start of the war. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who there were reports, was not necessarily sold on the deal eventually did urge the full cabinet to back it, saying, quote, before us tonight is a difficult decision, but it is the right decision. All the security forces support it fully. They understood that the war effort would not only not hurt, but the opposite, that this would allow the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, to prepare for the continuation of the fighting. And so late Tuesday night, the full cabinet did approve the deal. So this agreement is basically done in multiple phases. After those first few days of those first few releases, if everything holds and everyone agrees that the other side is abiding by the agreement, there could then be a second round in which Hamas could release dozens more women, children, elderly, in return for Israel extending the ceasefire and releasing additional prisoners. An Israeli official said Israel is ready to give another day of pause for every 10 hostages Hamas releases. Now, keep in mind, there are 240 hostages estimated being held here. So if this deal goes through, we could be talking about a couple weeks here. We'll see if that happens. One other Israeli official believes they can get at least 70 to 80 hostages. So about a third of the hostages as part of this initial phase of the deal. Remember, Hamas doesn't have all the hostages. Some were taken by other terror groups like Islamic Jihad, some by allegedly smaller groups like family gangs or mafia types within the Gaza Strip. So Hamas said, we don't have control over everybody. Well, then Israel saying to them, well, then you need to get control and identify where these hostages are. Now, this deal comes as there's been a lot of domestic pressure within Israel, not just from the hostage families, but from the public writ large and also the media. Hundreds of stories have aired uh, of family members telling the story, pushing the government to do more. So there is an immense amount of domestic pressure here on Israel and Netanyahu's cabinet to do something here, whereas many of them were sort of inclined to let the war continue to really destroy Hamas's capabilities and keep them on the run. The domestic pressure uh, has forced them here into making this deal. Now, three to one is the deal, three prisoners in Israel for every one hostage in Gaza. And while that may seem slanted here, why should Israel have to give up three people in prison for alleged crimes uh, for every hostage? Keep in mind that a few years ago, just over 10 years ago now, there was an exchange for one Israeli soldier, Gilad Shalit, 
1,027 Palestinian prisoners. By the way, that includes Yahya Sinwar, the head of Hamas in Gaza. He was among those released. So that was 1,000 to 1. Uh, in this agreement, there's 3 to 1 plus the ceasefire. Interestingly, Moshe, as part of this agreement, Israel would get to keep the troops that are currently on the ground in Gaza in Gaza. So that's definitely notable. But as we've been saying throughout this whole process, until this happens, it's not a done deal. And there's so many things that can potentially go wrong and unravel this deal. For example, just say a rogue group in Gaza decided to fire a rocket into Israel. And, And it's not even Hamas. It's just somebody else. What does that do? Uh, So it's just one of many complicating factors. Sure. And there'll be pressure on the Israeli side that if they see, you know, like some figures uh, of Hamas moving about and they're not able to eliminate them at that moment or they choose to, what does that do to the deal? So a lot of moving parts here. We've been reporting for weeks on this, but this appears to actually be a deal here. Now, uh, how the next 48 hours goes, we will see. Not to mention much needed aid. And just in terms of the humanitarian crisis that we have been seeing in Gaza, a welcomed pause in in fighting. Yeah, speaking of that humanitarian crisis, the UN's latest number is 1.7 million people. That's the number of people who've been displaced in Gaza over the course of the past 45 days. Of those, about 1 million of them are currently sheltering in very overcrowded UN facilities. There are shortages of food, water, fuel for generators across all of Gaza. There's been no central electricity for the month, very intermittent. By the way, they had intermittent power before the war. It's gotten way worse since the war. The latest satellite pictures show that up to 50% of buildings in northern Gaza in particular have been damaged since the war began. That really reinforces that we're talking about a multi, multi, multi-year rebuilding effort in Gaza once this war ceases. Though at the same time, Netanyahu and the Israeli cabinet have said, you know, this is a temporary ceasefire. We will continue to eliminate Hamas after these prisoner exchanges go down. So keep in mind that this is not the end of the war here. The latest on the battlefront, the war has shifted to Jabalia. That is a densely built area near Gaza City. Uh, Israel's been bombarding that area for weeks. The military there saying that Hamas fighters have regrouped there as they've been pushed out of Gaza City uh, and they have them on the run. Though we should know Jabalia has two nearby hospitals where hundreds of patients and displaced people have been sheltering, are currently trapped. The Israelis pointing to the fact that uh, they say Hamas fighters are shooting from those hospitals, and that's what's led to the fighting around those facilities. The Israeli military saying on Wednesday that they were able to hit three more tunnel shafts where fighters were hiding and destroyed additional rocket launchers. Moshe, as we were talking about earlier, you had a long conversation on Tuesday with Khalil Sayeg, a Palestinian born and raised in Gaza. He's educated in Ramallah in the West Bank. But now he's in the United States, where he recently got his master's degree from American University. So tell us a bit about that conversation. Yeah, this is fascinating. We'll have this out for you uh, in the next day. Khalil actually is from a Christian family in Gaza. There's about 1,000 Christians in Gaza out of a population of 2.4 million there. Many have left through the decades for a variety of reasons, including their mistreatment by uh, Hamas, the extremist Islamic group as well as he says, the economic issues that they face in Gaza related to the blockade uh, from Israel for more than a decade. He says he communicates with his family there daily or almost daily. He tries to. He discusses in our podcast what it was like to grow up in Gaza, talking about the optimism they once had 
in the late 90s, early 2000s, though that then turns with the second intifada, the second uprising, and then eventually the Hamas takeover of Gaza. What I found really fascinating about the conversation, he's very candid at a time where everyone has become very tribal. He talks openly about uh, the frustration that many Palestinians in Gaza have with Hamas, the fact that they build tunnels under people's homes. He tells the story of a friend, actually, that woke up to the sound of drilling under his house. And that's how he discovered a tunnel was being built. The friend's house was then destroyed, an Israeli airstrike targeting that tunnel. Lo and behold, as the guy's trying to rebuild his house, what does he find? Hamas rebuilding the tunnel under his home again. So Khalil is fascinating in terms of talking about life under Hamas and how much he hates it. But at the same time, his frustration, his criticism of Israel, its neglect for the Palestinian issue that he says, in effect, has bolstered Hamas uh, and reinforced the fact that he says, you know, Hamas is saying military solutions are the only solutions because, look, the Israelis won't do anything diplomatically with us. So he's very candid, very open about his frustrations with both sides. He works in grassroots effort with an Israeli. He's partnered with an Israeli here in the U.S. to work on solutions, a two-state solution. And I think you guys will like the shades of gray he presents here, something we try to do on this podcast, and not everything is black and white at a time where everything is black and white. <laughs> a uh, little here nuance. Is a is a little nice. nuance. <laughs> a little nuance from the region, which is great to hear. Here is a clip, actually. I was speaking to him about the criticism he gets from fellow Palestinians for being critical at a time of war. Here's a clip. To be honest with you, there is an emotional conflict that they go through, right? Like, do I want to make my people look bad? No, of course no. But do I want to compromise my own conscience and my own uh, uh, morals to justify the actions of Hamas, who clearly give no crap about the Palestinian rights and about their safety, even if they have some sort of vision about liberation or whatever? But what is happening today, it's, it's horrific, and I think it's unjust. And the fact that they're willing to suppress voices that criticizes their actions in this war and their actions... Um, to trigger this war is really uh, worrying and something that makes me um, want to talk more and more about it. And I would say something about the discourse in the diaspora in general, whether they're, they're the Jewish diaspora or the Palestinian diaspora, is an unfortunate discourse of tribalism. It becomes so tribalist. There is no way on earth my side could be, you know, the, the wrong side and vice versa. I, it's something I refuse to look at. I choose to be... Uh, intellectually honest with myself and analytically uh, uh, honest and look at things as uh, as it is. Moshe, I really appreciate his stance. And it can't be easy for him uh, to, to be speaking about this, especially now while the war is actually happening. So I look forward to listening to the rest of that interview. Yeah, he found it amusing, actually, that so many Israelis he knows that were so critical of Netanyahu and the government for the past few months, as there's been domestic protests there pre the war over issues there. That now he, you know, he, they're telling me the Israeli government can do no wrong. And I was like, you've been giving them crap for a year. How can they do no wrong? And at the same time, Palestinians, who he knows have been very critical of Hamas and like are, have had it with them, and they know that they basically caused this latest round of fighting with October 7th attack. He's like, wait, now we can't criticize Hamas? Like, we know they're a problem. We know that like they're blocking a solution here. So like, let's all be honest with each other, folks. Like, no side is completely to blame here, and no side is completely innocent. Now, again, there's variations on that. But anyway, I think that you'll like this. We're going to have this out. Look for it on the feed. Additionally, earlier this week, you went to the UN with others to watch the raw video of the Hamas attack on Israel. 
Yesterday, we spoke about it and you just weren't ready to even talk about it. Anything that you want to share? Yeah, so you've probably heard about this. This is just under 50 minutes. This is all video taken from surveillance cameras as well as cameras and phones used by the Hamas attackers. They were recording it, in some cases, live streaming the attack on October 7th. The Israeli government has put this together to show journalists and, frankly, anyone uh, they can get to watch this. They've been screening it around the world. Uh, I attended a screening at the United Nations this week where they also had diplomats from other countries uh, who attended the largest screening so far of the film. And Jill, I just have to say, you know, it's it was horrific. It was disgusting. I almost had to pretend that I was watching a movie because to watch the literal slaughter of innocent civilians is is impossible to watch. And then the celebration by some of these attackers and what they were doing. You lose the ability to understand humanity when you watch that stuff. Moshe, it's interesting that you say that because I have heard other people who have seen this video talk about it. And they say that one of the more shocking elements is like the joy and glee in which the Hamas terrorists were were doing this. They're celebrating. They're celebrating as they're murdering innocent people. And in some cases, you... You watch them call their friends in Gaza to tell to tell them what they're doing, their family members, to tell them that, you know, I just killed a Jew. Anyway, I don't need to go into further detail here, but it's 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 horrific. And anyone who tries to deny the tragedy of that day um, needs to watch that. And now, you know, like looking holistically, does that defend the Israeli response these past 46 days? Many people would say no. But at the same time, watching that, you can understand the trauma many Israelis feel in what happened in their country and why the response is the response. And why, you know, their pressure on the Israeli government is that you should not stop until Hamas is completely eliminated because of the abject horror they perpetrated upon innocent Israelis on that Saturday. Jill, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to watch it. Uh, I went ahead and watched it. And, uh, you know, I think it's important to bear witness to these sort of things. And as we watch this war, the potential for it to expand beyond the Israel-Gaza border, uh, another development, the Pentagon says that Iranian-backed militants have used close-range ballistic missiles to attack U.S. forces at an airbase in Iraq. U.S. officials say a U.S. military aircraft fired on a vehicle that was being used to carry some of those militants. The attack was at al-Assad airbase in Iraq on Monday evening. Yeah, there have now been more than 60 attacks on U.S. and coalition troops in Iraq and Syria over the last few weeks. At least 56 U.S. troops have sustained injuries in the attacks, at least 25 of them traumatic brain injuries. All have since returned to duty. There is the ongoing debate within the White House about whether they need to be taking a more aggressive stance uh, against these Iranian attacks. So far, it appears the president is trying to be very limited in his response as to not escalate a larger regional war. All right, time now for the speed read from Axios. Major storms are colliding with potentially record traffic numbers to make Thanksgiving travel a headache-inducing nightmare this year. A series of storms poised to strike a large part of the country this week, including the heavily populated Northeast. Severe weather earlier this week sparked powerful thunderstorms and reports of tornadoes from eastern Texas to the lower Mississippi Valley. A storm system is moving from the southern plains to the northeast U.S. through today. And total precipitation forecast through Sunday showing heavy rain in the east. Much of the precipitation forecast for the Rockies would be in the form of snow. 
There's a big ski season out west last year. We'll see how this one ranks by comparison. But for many, Thanksgiving marks the start of ski season out there. So it's good to have some fresh powder. A record 55 million people are expected to travel at least 50 miles or more between tomorrow and Sunday. Jill, I think you and I are among the 300 million Americans that will not be traveling uh, 50 miles or more. We're keeping it close to home. The TSA estimates that it'll be screening about 30 million passengers over these 10 days. Sunday could be the busiest day ever. So get to those airports early. Jill, I can't believe you wrote this line. I you didn't. You got to pack some patience, everybody. <laughs> no, Axios wrote this line. Pack some patience. You got to pack your patience. You can sometimes put it in the carry-on. Sometimes you need to check your bag with patience, depending on the situation at an airport near you. This is common advice, but it also works around the holidays. Try a very early flight or a late night flight. At most airports, peak hour is uh, late morning hours as people fly. So it pays to wake up super early. And as we noted on yesterday's pod, if you missed it, please try to avoid roads today between 2 and 6 p.m. That is the busiest four-hour period of the weekend, wherever you are. From the Associated Press, Walmart says it is working closely with investigators to try to determine why a shooter opened fire at one of its stores in Ohio, wounding four people before killing himself. The attack was reported at around 8.30 p.m. Monday at the Walmart in Beaver Creek, a town of about 50,000 in the Dayton metropolitan area. So the police say the shooting injured four shoppers, three women and one man. Police say three are in stable condition and one of the women is in critical but stable condition as of Tuesday. Authorities not releasing the identities of the victims, including their races, because they say they have not yet ruled out that the attack was racially motivated. The shooter is being identified as a 20-year-old male. Notably, Jill, this Walmart store in Ohio, where Monday's shooting took place, was the scene of another fatal shooting, this exact store. That shooting involved police about 10 years ago. Uh, Notably, for 2023, there have been at least 600 mass shootings in the U.S. this year. A mass shooting is one in which four or more people are shot. I was listening to an interview with a woman who was actually in that Walmart uh, this week during the shooting, and she said it looked like it was totally random and that the shooter walked by her with what looked like an assault weapon. And she just was shaking. She was like, I I can't even believe I I somehow am still alive right now. Um, And of course, this coming just a couple of days before Thanksgiving. All right. Switching gears here from CNBC, Ford scaling back plans for a $3.5 billion battery plant in Michigan as consumers shift to electric vehicles more slowly than expected. Also, labor costs are rising and the company is looking to cut costs. Ford executives, including the CEO Jim Farley and chair Bill Ford, initially announced that facility back in February and it quickly became a political target because of its connection to a Chinese battery manufacturer called CATL. The plant is a wholly owned Ford subsidiary, but the U.S. automaker is licensing technology from the Chinese company to produce those new lithium iron phosphate for the electric vehicles. Ford saying Tuesday it is cutting production capacity by about 43 percent per year and also reducing the expected employment from 2,500 jobs to 1,700 jobs. The company not saying how much less it's going to be investing in the plant. But based on the reduced capacity, it will still be about a $2 billion investment. So there's been a slight retreat recently when it comes to electric vehicles by automakers around the world. Demand for the vehicles is lower than expected due to the continued high costs 
and challenges when it comes to supply chain, battery technology. We've talked on this podcast about charging stations. It's one of the reasons the U.S. government has invested so much trying to create incentives for people to buy EVs, uh, trying to support the infrastructure to make these happen. Ford so far has moved to cut or delay about $12 billion in previously announced electric vehicle investments. And so there is this move to make EVs sustainable. Uh, That's still challenging. So Ford right now scaling back. Uh, Keep in mind, we also talked about that major strike, that new labor agreement that increased wages significantly, uh, increased costs. Ford had said that that's going to create an issue for its bottom line, as well as increase the cost for consumers. So right now, Ford's saying that it could raise the cost of a new car between $850 and $1,000 for consumers um, related to trying to now pay those new labor costs. From Bloomberg, more Americans on Ozempic means smaller plates at Thanksgiving. People on these weight loss drugs are less fixated on the turkey and the trimmings, and this could mean trouble for food companies. Millions of Americans are now taking appetite-suppressing GLP-1 hormone injections, And for many, this will be their first Thanksgiving on the drug. Food manufacturers and retailers who normally enjoy robust sales during the holiday feasting season are reportedly saying they're going to see an impact on their bottom lines. Walmart said in October that its shoppers that are taking weight loss drugs were buying slightly less food. Shocker. (laughs) The CEO of Kelanova, which makes Pringles and Cheez-Its, told Bloomberg the company is now studying the impact on dietary behaviors to be able to respond. Shares of Krispy Kreme were downgraded last month on concerns that weight loss drugs would reduce demand for their donuts. Tough times to be in the snack industry, Jill. With less snacking happening, the snacks have to figure out a way to evolve here. So I guess overall, potentially a good thing, unless, of course, you make Pringles or Cheez-Its, etc. Prescriptions for GLP-1 drugs have skyrocketed 300% over the last three years. And keep in mind, in many cases, some of these drugs were initially meant for diabetes, now being used for weight loss. That's Ozempic, that's Wegovy. Uh, then you also have Munjaro, Zepbound, uh, which got approved for weight loss earlier this month. So a lot there out on the market. What they do is they effectively signal to the brain to pump the brakes on appetite even cutting out thoughts about food. So a lot of people turning to them. One obesity physician tells Bloomberg that the people on these drugs will go to Thanksgiving dinner and won't be enticed in the same way. It's unconscious, this doctor says. Jill Bloomberg for the story spoke to a number of people on Ozempic, uh, one of them telling the publication that they plan to cook less this year, replace noodles with cauliflower, eat smaller portions. So again, I guess a, a win for health here, potentially. A loss for those food companies, hoping we would all binge like usual. I have a friend who is who's on one of these drugs and and she lost 40 to 50 pounds. And I asked her, I was like, what is it like? You know, what do you feel like? And she said, she's like, I just don't ever think about food. If there's food in front of me, even if it's my favorite thing in the world, I, I just can't explain. She's like, I just, I can't eat it. Mm. So more pumpkin pie for me this year. And same for me. All right, from the BBC, a lost BBC interview with the street artist Banksy has been unearthed in which the mysterious artist appears to reveal what his first name is. In the 2003 recording, BBC reporter Nigel Wrench asked him if he is called Robert Banks, and the artist replies, it's Robbie. This has long been the subject of speculation online with variations of Robin, Robert, and Robbie uh, suggested. And in the full interview, Banksy compares his approach to art, which involves producing graffiti, undercover at speed 
to microwaving meals. He said, it is quick. I want to get it done and dusted. It is one of the earliest known radio interviews with the artist who is often described as mysterious and secretive. So you might be familiar with Banksy's distinctive graffiti. It's popped up around the world from bombed buildings in Ukraine uh, to T-shirts and all around Europe in recent years. And his real identity still has never been revealed, though this interview does give fans a rare chance to hear his voice. The artist at the time was in his 20s. It was the summer of 2003. And some of the interview aired on BBC at the time, though not all the material was used. The interview includes his defense of vandalism as art. Uh, He says, I'm not here to apologize for it. It's a quicker way of making your point, right? In the same way my mother used to cook Sunday roast every Sunday and says every Sunday it takes hours to make, minutes to eat. And these days she just eats microwave meals for one and seems a lot happier. I'm kind of taking that approach to art, really. I want to get it done and dusted. His advice in the interview to others, go out, trash things, have fun. (laughs) Because ultimately, someone could just paint over your work. But that's what he says, which is interesting. I had been secretly hoping that maybe it was a woman. The fact that his name is Robert Banks, I feel like mystery solved, right? Well, we still haven't met him. But we have a clue. All right, now time for On This Day in History. Jill has a special twist for us today. Yes, Mosh, because it is the day before Thanksgiving, instead of a robust On This Day in History from from you, we are going to be ending this podcast by talking about what we are thankful for instead. And it has been a rough few weeks for the world. So I do think it's important to just step back and remember what is still good. I like that idea, Jill. You want to kick us off? Okay, so Mosh, starting with the little things, I am thankful for my morning cup of coffee. I usually do Trader Joe's or Dunkin' Donuts with Chobani creamer. Judge me all you want, people, but it is a very sweet way to start the day. Morning walks with my son, pretty much rain or shine. I listen to podcasts, but also take in nature from deer to rabbits to just gorgeous old trees. I actually try to appreciate everything. Peloton yoga, whether I have 10 minutes or 45, it is some time to shut out the world, feel good, and just breathe. And Mosh, I am truly thankful for this job. It's a lot of work, but it's really joy to be able to sit with you every day, talk news, digest the important stories, have some laughs, hear from our amazing listeners. And a personal note for me, finally having some type of flexibility and work-life balance. I'm home a lot. That is new for me. Um, I've mentioned before I live on Long Island. I've moved back here from the city during the pandemic, kind of kicking and screaming because I was like, this is the last place that I thought I wanted to live, a stone's throw from where I grew up. But once I got over that, I will say there is something very, very special about living close to home and close to family. My parents see my kids almost every day. My in-laws are close as well. I've heard the most important parenting hack, Jill, is move close to family. It really is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My daughter, who is in kindergarten, takes the school bus every day with my niece, who is in fifth grade. So she's a big kid. She could sit on the back of the bus, but she sits in the front row with my daughter and then walks her to her classroom every single day. My daughter literally runs to get on the school bus. And I could not be more thankful for that. That's so sweet. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Not to mention her amazing teacher who really is just special. 
I'm also so incredibly thankful for friends, old friends who I've had since college that I've been making a much bigger effort to keep in touch with. Some of my friends from childhood who I very happily rekindled with this year. And then a new crew of friends, mom friends that have really helped get me through the day, just like with day-to-day stuff. And with that, of course, I am thankful for my delicious kids. I was actually pregnant with my son when we launched this podcast. He is now 16 months walking, getting into all sorts of fun trouble. And my daughter, who is now five, personally, I just think it keeps getting better and better as they get older, watching the way that she thinks and her personality. Uh, I'm so incredibly thankful for that. And of course, my husband, I am pretty sure my kids like him more than me. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least they prefer him most of the time. And it stings. I mean, it really does hurt. But it just reinforces for me that I married the right person, an amazing father and an amazing husband. So those are uh, just a a few of the things that I am thankful for. I'm also thankful for Michael. Yeah. Without him, many times there would not be a quiet moment in your house (laughs) to be able to record this podcast. And my mom. And Carol, (laughs) thank you for all of your support for this podcast. Jill, most importantly, thank you. I'm thankful for you, for your friendship. No matter what happens, uh, we're there to back each other up as we continue to build Mo News. So thank you for everything you do. It's a balancing act. I am finding out parenthood and work, (laughs) even though I'm just a few weeks into it, which brings me to the next thing I'm thankful for. My daughter, Olivia, who's nine weeks old. It's the first Thanksgiving with her watching Every little moment so far, you know, it's only been a couple of weeks, but everything's incredible. And I keep hearing from listeners, from those of you in the Mo News community, cherish every moment. It goes by so quick. Don't, you know, I try to make sure when I'm holding her not to take that for granted, knowing that already she's gone from like seven pounds to 11 pounds in this time period. Like, oh, she's getting a little heavy with one arm. Um, So taking in those moments, watching her look in the mirror now, smile, laugh for the first time, tummy time, all the little things. And so making sure to take those moments in, take a moment away from the headlines and from work to really enjoy those moments. I'm lucky to have an incredible out-of-this-world wife in Alex. I'm thankful to her. Really was a true superhero through pregnancy, through delivery, and now through motherhood. I'm so proud of her, lucky to call her my wife, to be her husband, amazed by her daily, the mother that she is. I can't say I'm surprised, but still amazing to watch. I'm thankful for the fact that we were able to put together podcasts through the pregnancy, <laughs> which is so fun to look back on now because we we listened to one and we put them up on the premium feed for those of you who are unfamiliar. I think at some point we'll put them out on the main feed, but we basically did a podcast per trimester and you already forget those things. You forget those little moments. Totally. And so the fact that we have them on tape and hopefully Olivia will enjoy them at some point when we force her to listen to them. <laughs> um, it's great to have those. I'm thankful for that. Anyway, thank you, Alex, for anticipating all of our needs, managing it all, um, now holding a child in one hand and managing everything else in our lives with the other hand. She is so thoughtful. The other day we were about to record the podcast and I hear her yelling, ask Jill what her kids want for Hanukkah. And I'm like, are you serious? I mean, just so incredibly thoughtful. She was feeding Olivia. She was feeding Olivia at the time. And she's like, what did Jill's want? What did Jill? I was like, how do you? Well, how are you juggling oh all my these God. plates? How, how are you spinning all these yeah. plates? How is there room in your brain for, for that? It's just, it's it's incredible. She puts everyone before herself. And for that, I'm thankful. Thank you, Alex. I'm thankful for all of my family. 
extended family, my parents um, in Texas who came in uh, to meet Olivia, my brother in Chicago, and my beautiful nieces and nephew there. Thankful my family who lives in Israel are managing right now despite the ongoing war. And then thankful to all of Alex's family, including my incredible uh, mother-in-law, Melissa, who has been so, so amazing through these early weeks of parenthood coming to help whenever we need her. So thank you, Mel, for everything you do. And thanks to all my friends uh, who've been checking in this past month and around the baby. I was one of the last, if not the last, to have kids among my friends. And so I appreciate all the incredible advice, though most of you have just told me, you'll figure it out. Every child is different. (laughs) It's true. It is true. (laughs) You don't need my advice on it. And by the way, it goes by so quickly because I was like, what did you guys do at this stage? You're like, I don't know. My kid's six now, dude. I don't remember what's (laughs) happening in six weeks. I want to thank also the Mo News community, all of you who are listening. We often, for the fun of it sometimes, highlight the more schmucky behavior on Instagram, the bizarro messages, and sometimes offensive messages we get. But the vast, 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 vast majority of you, 99%, give amazing positive feedback. We're so appreciative of you and this community that we've built, the impact we can have on your lives. Hopefully, we can make your Thanksgiving a bit easier as you discuss issues, news, headlines with your family members. So I've suggested to all of you, don't even bother discussing the news with them. (laughs) Enjoy Thanksgiving. Just just enjoy Thanksgiving. Who needs politics at Thanksgiving? And of course, all my colleagues, uh, Jill, of course, Emily, Lauren on the team here, Alma, who was an intern here recently. Thank you, Alma. Courtney, who's helped us with the newsletter. Lauren, who's now helping us with the newsletter. I also want to thank Ashley in Wisconsin, who provides incredible support to us as well. So thank you, Ashley, for everything that you do. And all of you who helped put together this podcast, uh, Jeff and Kelly Dollar down in Atlanta, Arian, our editor, audio editor, Khalid, our uh, video editor, Jessica on the podcast team. We have such a great podcast team because we basically just run this thing around the clock. We're like, we'll jump on and do a random interview. So I will inevitably be troubleshooting something with audio and I'll be like, is that, you know, texting quick, who's around? Well, you know, can anyone jump on? And then I'll just see kind of Jeff pop in. Um, and be like, okay, what do you need? Audio sounds good. And it's just nice to feel supported. We have 24-7 tech support here <laughs> on the Mo News Podcast. <laughs> Appreciate all of you. I'll just like randomly on Monday at 4 p.m. be like, I'm doing an extra interview. Can we get it out tomorrow? And they're like, sure, we can do that. And there you have it. No, but truly a heartfelt thank you, not only to the team here, but uh, to everybody who listens to this podcast Thank you. Um, We read your comments. Appreciate all of them. Everyone who writes in on Instagram or who emails us, whether you agree with what we're saying or disagree, you know, we I feel like we're a family here and and just much appreciated for for being part of our year of our podcast and and what we're trying to do. All right, Jill, I could go on and keep thanking people, but we should we should let people go enjoy their uh, Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> They're going to never listen to this podcast again. Um, okay. <laughs> They're like, they just kept going. They kept going. Like, why didn't you mention me, Mosh? I'm like, oh. Seriously, though, a huge thank you, not only to our whole team, but to everybody who listens to this podcast. It really feels like we're a family here. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree. Um, and again, as we started this section, It's a bit of a rough time right now in the world. And so just remembering that there are still good things and things to be thankful for, I think it is really helpful. Yeah, there's some people who say practice gratitude every day. We're trying to get there. We're doing it at least on (laughs) one podcast here. But but hey, listen, this might be inspo, Jill, to do this more often. So um, here we are. Thank you all. Have a safe, uneventful, 
and hopefully joyous weekend. And we'll see you back here on Monday. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.